this is where we begin today's conversation. In fact, as our anchor text, I've chosen Acts chapter 2, which has been our anchor text for the first two volumes in this series. We're going to revisit that passage. Uh, the verse, uh, beginning at verse 42, uh, the scripture says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, if you're following along on your mobile device, our notes are available on version. Just search City Church and our notes are there. Amen. In fact, let me do this before we look to God's word. Let me pray, and we'll dive into the word of God together. Father, we come now in the name of Jesus, and we thank you for your precious holy word. We approach it with reverence and great humility, that we might receive your word with meekness, the engrafted word of God, which is able to save our souls. So, Father, speak to us now as only you can. Father, we even ask that you would anoint our ears and our hearts to hear and receive your word this morning. That, God, we would be faithful doers of your word and not hearers only. And that your word would abide in our hearts and in our lives and bear much fruit. Even fruit that will remain beyond this moment. In Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen and amen. All right, Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse number 42. This is our anchor text that will give context and frame our conversation this morning. If you're there, say amen. If you're not there yet, say oh me. Okay, so everybody's there. Fantastic. Acts chapter 2, here we go. Notice that the early church, the disciples, those who were devoted Christ followers continued steadfastly. That means they prioritized these things. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. We talked about that, the word of God. And fellowship, koinonia. And then the breaking of bread. But this is where we're going to land because this was an integral part of the, the DNA and the fabric of the early church, and that is prayer. If we're going to tap into all that God has for us, the bridge that connects us to the heart of God, the hand of God, the provision of God is something we often ignore and neglect, and that is prayer. Now, if you've ever felt inadequate when it comes to this whole subject of prayer, you're not alone. You're in very good company because even the 12 disciples who walked with Jesus felt inadequate. As we examine Luke chapter 11, and that's where we're going to jump off, right? <laughs> we're going to jump off right here in Luke chapter 11. We will discover that even the men who walked with Jesus, who were part of his inner circle, felt inadequate when it came to prayer. How many of you think, feel like you could probably grow in your prayer life? I think every hand, every hand in the building should go up, amen, because all of us, have these opportunities to grow and be conformed to the image of Jesus. And one of the ways we do that is not just through the word of God, not just communion one with the other, but it's also through the power, the transformative power of prayer. So we're going to learn what the Bible says specifically this morning about how to pray. 
It is the mechanics and the dynamics of prayer that I think every believer should master as well as they know their cell phone. Hmm? Yes. Absolutely. What is prayer? So here we go. Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse number 1. Y'all are awful quiet in this Presbyterian church this morning. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh, my wife says, you're learning. Okay, okay, that's right. Okay, thank you, thank you. Okay. Are, are y'all with me? If you're with me, just say a good, good amen. I just, I just need to, yeah, yeah, yeah. It always, it always helps uh, to know that uh, the audience is with you. And, uh, You are? Okay. I would never do this. This is just the children's church mama in me. When I was saying, what is prayer? Because some people, even though we're going to learn how to pray, some people, it, that's where they can get hung up. Prayer is simply this. It is talking to God. Absolutely. It's not knowing scripture. It's not the these and the thous and the knowing the Psalms or being a pastor or having graduated from Bible school. It is simply talking to God. You don't have to have your eyes closed. You don't have to have your head bowed. That is a, a posture of reverence. But if you have to have while you're driving, if you're in the shower, it is talking to God simply. Like you would talk to somebody on the phone. Sometimes you will not hear an audible voice, even though that is not impossible. Sometimes you'll have a knowing or a thought, and it'll be confirmed, so we won't go there. But sometimes, I know we have some of the younger people in here. It's just like, okay, the, the discipline of prayer, this is how I should pray, but what does that mean? And you're doing a fantastic job. This was just, thank you for allowing me this, but I just wanted you to know that prayer is just simply talking to the Father. Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. And on that note, thank you for stealing my thunder. That's all right, baby, because I love you. I love you. I love you. That's right. In Jesus' name. Come on, somebody. All right, where were we? Prayer. Okay, Luke chapter 11 and verse 1. Luke chapter 11, so, so we're not only going to learn how to pray, we're going to discover what prayer is. And as Pastor Wendley rightly said, it is about communing with the Father. It is simply about talking to God. Notice in Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse, verse 1, the scripture records this account between Jesus and his disciples. It says, now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place which was the custom of Jesus. When he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Can I say this morning, City Church, that if you don't know how to pray, that is prayer is something that we can learn and master. And here are these men who had followed Jesus at this point in his ministry approximately two years. And they had seen Jesus retreat often to this solitary place to find solace and solitude with the Father. But the disciples also noticed that when Jesus came out of this secret place, stuff started 
happening. They made a connection between what Jesus did in private and what manifested in public. They say, okay, Jesus gets away. He's gone for an hour, two hours, three hours. And he comes out of that place and, man, he's laying hands on people and they're healed. People are saying mean things about him and he turns the other cheek. We want to walk in that same power and authority. Can I say this to you this morning, City Church? That what you perfect in private, you become proficient at in public. Sometimes the reason our public lives fall apart is because we haven't cultivated this prayer life in private and that the secret to Jesus' authority and his strength and his victory publicly was not what he did in public, but it was what preceded what he did in public, and that was prayer. And when I said, Pastor Wendy stole my thunder, this is what, what I meant. Point number one in my notes is that the number one priority of prayer is intimacy with God. The reason you and I go into that secret place, into that private place with God, is not because of what is in God's hand, it's because of what is in God's heart. And those of us who are parents can understand that. We don't want a relationship with our children that is based solely on what we can do for them. If the only time your children came to you was because they wanted or needed something, would that be defined as an intimate personal relationship? And God is exactly the same way. His desire for us, first and foremost, in prayer, is that we cultivate intimacy with him. In fact, this is what he said in Psalm 103. That he showed Israel his acts, but he showed Moses his ways. Big distinction. Most of us are satisfied just seeing the demonstrations of God's power, but we don't even go a bit further to know his ways. And the first order of prayer is not to draw near to God with an outstretched hand, but to draw near to God with an open heart. Did y'all hear that? That when you and I come into the secret place of prayer, the priority is not what God can do for me, but to discover who God is. In Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 23, Jeremiah writes these words, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the strong man glory in his strength. And let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. You know what God was saying through the prophet Jeremiah? He was saying that if you and I should brag or boast about anything, it should be the fact that we have an intimate personal relationship with God. Notice what Jesus said. I do only what I see the Father do. And I say only what I hear the Father say. And how many of our lives are driven not by what God said, by what we have decided. And how many of our lives have gone off course because we made prayer our last resort instead of our first option? 
that the time we come to God is when we want God to rescue us and undo our bad decisions. Yet he says in Proverbs chapter 3, trust in me with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Notice what he says next. In all your ways. Not just sometimes. In everything you attempt to do. In everything you aspire to do, acknowledge me. You know what, what that word acknowledge me? He, he simply says, invite me into the process. In all of your ways, before you bought that house that you can't afford. Come on, somebody. Oh, I just stepped on that bunion. For most Christ followers, God has become a lifeline in emergencies. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Abba, Father, that all of prayer begins with prioritizing our relationship with God, our Father. The problem with how this prayer begins is that sometimes the way we see God is driven by how we see our earthly fathers. For some of us, the testimony is I didn't have a father, so this idea of God as father doesn't even compute. For some of us, this idea of God as father means that God may abandon me. The, 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 the idea of father for some of us in this room means that God is present, but he's absent. Uh, let me say it this way. He's present in the house, but he's distant from me as a son. And most of us have reduced our God to our experiences. And if this was an example of the earthly father that I had, then maybe this is the way God is. Yet Jesus invites us into this intimate place of prayer, which is a place of discovery of who the Father is. Are y'all with me so far? Let me tell you why this is personal. Because when I came to faith in Christ, I had no difficulty whatsoever seeing God as Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. In fact, literal Hebrew translates his name, Jehovah Jireh, to the God who sees ahead and makes provision. Had no problem embracing God as Jehovah Jireh. You know why? Because my earthly father was a fantastic provider. So when I see God and I think of God and I pray to God, I had no issue of seeing God as a faithful provider because I had that example in my earthly father. Can I, can I tell you where I struggled with, with my view of God? Uh, I struggled with my view of God because I always saw God as a judge. I struggled understanding the grace and mercy of God because my earthly father, like most African dads, was a stern, stern disciplinarian. And so my idea of God was that God was this cosmic judge in heaven 
waiting to punish me for everything I did wrong. Let me tell you the power of prayer. The more intimate you become with the Father, the more often and the more quickly he will undo our flawed perceptions of who he is. The longer you stay in the presence of God in prayer, simply communing and talking to the Father, you will discover a side of God that will just blow your mind. And there are so many things I could say to you about who God is this morning, but if there's anything I want you to catch this morning, I want you to hear this, because over the next several weeks, we will build on the foundation we're establishing this week. We will build on the, the foundation we are establishing this week, and it is the power of prayer because the things that God is going to bring us into as a church, the miracles that we'll have to depend on God for will require us to know the heart of God and recognize his willingness to bless his children. He's a good, good father. In, in, in fact, in fact, what you will discover the longer you spend time in the presence of God is that God is only good. I want you to think about that for a moment. The God of all creation, the one who has invited us into sonship, is only good. If you were to, if you were to spend any amount of time in the presence of God, and even as you read the scripture from Genesis to Revelation, every expression of God comes through this one fundamental characteristic and attribute of God that he is good. I want you to stop for a second and just really imagine that. That my father in heaven is only, only good. He is only good. He is only good. And everything about God, everything we could ever ask of God, everything we could ever petition God for flows from that singular attribute that he is good. And the goodness of God is not determined by my circumstances, because some of us in this room think that God changes with our circumstances. That when something bad happens, then God changed. No, he's still the same. The same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the Lord and he changes not. And even when life happens and I face circumstances that I don't understand, that are painful, God is still good. And that's why the psalmist said, even when I don't understand why this is happening to me, even when I don't understand why things turned out the way they did, he says, God, all your ways are perfect. All your ways are perfect. All your ways are perfect. I want you to hear that. I don't know who this is for this morning. But God is only good. C.S. Lewis lost the love of his life to cancer. And you know that C.S. Lewis was a professor at Oxford University, a brilliant mind, 
and he got radically saved. After he got saved, he met this woman, the love of his life, only to find out a few months later that she was diagnosed with cancer. And she passed a few months later. In his pain, C.S. Lewis called God the great vivisector, meaning the one who comes in and rips out your entrails. Because the pain of the loss of someone he loved was too great, and he attributed that pain to God. Can God be only good when bad things happen to good people? And notice, notice, when Moses cried out to God, and he says in, in Exodus chapter 33, he says, God, if you don't go with us, we are not going to leave this place. He understood the necessity of the presence and the power of God. And, God. and God, in this dialogue with him, says to Moses, I will cause my glory to pass before you. But he didn't only say, I'll cause my glory to pass before you. He goes on and he says, I will cause my goodness to pass before you. And you will hide in the cleft of the rock. Because when my goodness passes before me, I will allow you to see my back, but not my face. Notice when God was revealing his character and revealing his glory and his substance, he revealed himself to Moses as a God who is only good. Of all the things he could have shown Moses, he could have said, I'm a powerful God. I'm a healing God. I'm a providing God. But when he revealed himself to Moses and says, Moses, I'm with you. My presence will never leave you. He showed him his goodness. And in fact, if you and I were to experience the goodness of God in its fullness, we couldn't even handle it. That's why he even had to hide Moses in the cleft of the rock. Because God is so good and so pure that frail humanity cannot encounter his goodness face to face and live. The scripture says, in him there is no darkness. Absolutely no darkness. And that is the God we serve. And Jesus says, when we pray, we draw near to God on the basis of his goodness. You know why? Because prayer is created to be transformational, not transactional. The reason you and I come into the presence of God is because something in us Something of who we are is changed and transformed into the likeness of God. Say this with me. You become what you behold. Notice, notice what the scripture says. Notice what the scripture says here in 2 Corinthians. And then I'm going to close here. In 2 Corinthians, I believe it's chapter number 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Is this the right one? I think it's the right one. Is it the right one? I think it's the right one. Did I already say that? Second <laughs> Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. Is this where I want to go? I think it's where I want to go. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. The God we serve is only good. He is only good. Uh, verse 16 says, therefore, we do not lose heart. I don't know where you are today, City Church, what you're grappling with, what you're wrestling through. 
do not lose heart. Because our God, our Heavenly Father, is only good. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Notice what the scripture says in verse 17. For our light affliction, one, one translation says, our momentary affliction, which is but for a moment. I don't know what you're grappling with and dealing through this morning. Notice, whatever it is, it has a shelf life and an expiration date. It is for a moment. The confusion, the anxiety, the uncertainty is only for a moment. It's only a season that our God, who is only good, will bring you through. Every disappointment, every failure, every fear is only for a moment. Notice what it says. That this bad thing that's happening, this painful thing that you are experiencing is working for you a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. You know what that's saying? Is this affliction didn't come to destroy you. It is in your life to develop you. <laughs> I'm telling you now to help you, and I'm helping myself, reframe the pain that we experience. Notice what he said. It is a light affliction. God, this thing about to kill me. He said this light affliction is but for a moment. And it's working inside of you a far more exceeding weight of glory. It ain't going to take you out. It's going to make you better. And he continues and says, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary but the things which are not seen are eternal. We become what we behold. And when we look into the face of, to the face of discover is that our God is a good, good father. He's only good. In fact, how we see God determines how we approach him. It determines what, look, let me tell you this. Levi has no problem of interrupting anything I'm doing at any time. And the reason Levi is comfortable approaching me is because of how he sees me. I could be in the middle of a conversation with Wendy. I could be about, about to go to bed, whatever. Levi will jump in the bed with me and start to talk and do whatever he wants. In fact, he doesn't have to ask permission to jump on my lap because how he sees me determines how he approaches me. How many of you realize if we saw God as only good, it would change the way we prayed? It would change how often we prayed. It would help us. This is what the scripture says about our God. Notice what it says. It says that God's secret counsel is with the righteous. You know what that means? In that place of intimacy and prayer with God, God wants to reveal secrets to us. Reveal secrets about ourselves. Reveal secrets about people who are up to no good. He wants to reveal secrets about things to come. Didn't he say to Abraham, how can I do this thing and keep it from my friend Abraham? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27, I believe, says that. That his secret counsel 
is with the righteous. The purpose of prayer is intimacy with God. There are things that God wants to tell you and wants to tell me that we forfeit because we ignore prayer. I can tell you story after story after story about things that happened that I knew were going to happen long before they happened. Not because Ray Harmon is a pastor, but because Ray Harmon is a child of God. In fact, Jesus said the ministry of the Holy Spirit would be thus, that he will lead us and guide us into all truth and that he would show us things to come. God ain't telling you no secrets until you steal away to be with him. He intimately desires your presence. It's almost like me waking up every day and having no interaction with Pastor Wendy. We have a relationship with husband and wife, but just going through life day after day, week after week, year after year, and having no meaningful interaction. It's like going through life with my children and they never bring me into their world. Never ask my opinion, never ask my counsel, my direction. And they just do whatever they want to do. And here I am as a father just sitting there watching. Watching them make mistake after mistake. Go through disappointment after disappointment. And said, if you'd only invited me into the process, I could have saved you a lot of pain. I'm out of time. I wish I had time. Because we're going to go through this prayer line by line. Precept upon precept. But notice what Jesus said. He said, our Father which art in heaven. He's only good. James chapter 1 says, every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. From the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness or or shadow of turning. You know what that means? It means that God isn't moody. It means God isn't schizophrenic. There is no shifting. There is no turning. There is no variableness in him. The God we serve and the God we call Abba is only good. Notice the next part of that prayer. He says, hallowed be your name. We'll have time to get into this. We'll have time to get into this in the weeks to come. But notice what Jesus was teaching his disciples. Draw near to God on the basis of relationship. He's your father. And we are his sons and daughters. That's the basis upon which we draw near to God. Intimacy with God. Notice, I don't know who this is for, but notice what Psalm 139 says. The scripture says that God is intimately acquainted with all of our ways. Even before one word is formed on our lips, he already knows it all together. He knows everything about you and me. And he still loves us. And he gives us this invitation to begin to understand his heart. Sometimes the reason we struggle to even ask God is because we have lost sight of who our heavenly father is. He says, "Uh, hallowed be your name. The names of God, we'll talk about this, reveal the character of God. God reveals 
his person in his names. Everything we need to know about the character of God is revealed in his names. So he's teaching his disciples, number one, come on the basis of relationship. Number two, come on the basis of revelation because he reveals who he is in his names. It reveals his character. Number three, number three, he says this. I'm just giving you an overview. Number three, he says, uh, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's something about prayer and intimacy with God that brings us to a place not only of relationship and revelation, but it brings us to a place of surrender. Where the thing we desire above all else is not what we want, but what God wants. That you and I are not pushing back against what God wants for our lives. It only happens in that intimate place of prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And I promise you this is where I end. Let me tell you why that prayer is so important. Let me tell you why that prayer is so important. And I say this with all the love and the care and the compassion in my heart. The reason this prayer, specifically, this prayer of surrender, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, in my life, as you have purposed, this in, purposed it in heaven, just as you have thought out my life, every day of my life, my future, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. And then he says, then you will call upon me. You see, what God has for us is not for us to decide, it's for us to discover. He decided it already. And his plans for you and me are only good. But let me tell you why this prayer is a radical prayer. This prayer is a radical prayer. You know why? Because when we pray your kingdom come and your will be done, this is what Jesus is teaching his disciples. That sometimes what we want is not what we need. And most times what we need is not what we want. That prayer is a destiny altering, life-shifting prayer because sometimes what we want, City Church, is not what we need and what we need is not what we want. And I'm going to say this and I want you to hear it. God provided manna for the children of Israel every single day. He chose manna. And when he poured out manna from heaven, this is what they said. They called it manna and that word manna means what's this? Isn't that what we do a lot of times with God's provision? What's that? And they began to complain against the provision of God. In fact, inside the Ark of the Covenant were three things. Three things. There was a cup of manna, which represented Israel's rebellion against God's provision. Mm -hmm. There was the Ten Commandments, which represented Israel's rebellion against God's law. And the third article that was in the Ark of the Covenant was the rod of Aaron that budded, which represented Israel's rejection of God's leadership. God gave them the Ark of the Covenant as a constant reminder that they really didn't want his will. And above the, the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. The mercy seat is above the Ark of the Covenant, but it covers their rebellion and their disobedience. Now notice what the scripture says about manna. They complained against God's provision. God knew what they needed. 
They wanted something else, though. And they began to complain and complain and complain and complain and complain. And God says, I'm going to give you so much meat that is going to come out your teeth. And God did it. But in Psalm 103, I believe it is, it says, God sent meat from heaven, but he gave them leanness in their soul. Let me tell you what I'm saying. You can insist on what you want, and God may give it to you, but you will come up empty, unfulfilled, every single time. That word, uh, the word that's described leanness in their soul is the idea of, I think it's the, the ephah or, or, or a sia, which was a measure, a dry measure, how they would measure flour. And God says, I'm going to give you what you want, though. You want all this meat? But for the rest of your life, it will be like this bottle, half full. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, you will always be unfulfilled. That God gave them the job they wanted. Gave them the spouse they demanded. Gave them the house and the provision they wanted. But with all the stuff, sent leanness in their soul. And so when Jesus teaches his disciples, pray not what I want, but what you want. Just as you have decided it in heaven. What he's saying is, you don't know, always know what's best. But Father knows best. And it's only in the place of prayer, when I am intimate with God, that God reveals his character to me. And it brings me to a place of surrender to his will. Not what I want. But what you want. There's so much more I could say about that right there, but I want to take a moment to pray for us. And I'm including myself in that prayer. And I'll ask the team to come and they're going to play softly as I pray for you. You might be here this morning and you might be wrestling with this idea of God being a good, good father.